the order for any other business. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians. We're turning to 1 Corinthians again, chapter 4. We're taking up the title this evening, A a Proud Church. The church we don't want to be. The church we don't want to be. A proud church. 1 Corinthians, chapter 4. And we're going to read from the verse 6. And just three verses from God's word this evening. 1 Corinthians 4 and the verse 6 and we'll read through to the verse 8. This is the word of the Lord and we read there. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. That ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. That no one of you be puffed up. For one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast, 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 what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full, and now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign. That we also might reign with you. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts this evening. Very sadly, it's important sometimes for us to learn from a bad example. And here in these verses we have read this evening, uh, we find the church that we don't want to be. We find a proud church. These verses that we have read are full of sarcasm. And full of irony, Uh, this church in Corinth was a proud church. uh, And no church should ever be able to be accused of being proud. And no individual child of God should ever be able to be accused of pride. But sadly, right across the evangelical church, there are people who are extremely proud. And sadly, pride, it causes someone to assert their will above God's will. Pride says, I am first. Pride is looking in the mirror and saying to the person that you see, how great thou art. Uh, Pride, spelled P-R-I-D-E, has I right at the center. And a proud person will put I at the center of all that they do. Pride is someone who thinks more highly of themselves than they should. Pride looks down on others. Pride says, I can do it on my own without any help from God. The fact of the matter is, the first step a person takes through the narrow gate is actually to say, I can't save myself. It's to say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross. I claim the Lord Jesus himself said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Christianity, that day that you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ was the death blow of pride. But sadly, pride never really fully died. And often raises its ugly head in the local church. So Paul in these verses of scripture. He's going to use what I'm going to call some Bible pens. 
or some wee pricks. And you can think of a, a balloon, maybe a helium balloon that's filled. And you can think of it even as a, as a metaphor for pride. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to simply start putting little pins into that balloon. And he's going to deflate the pride of the Corinthian church. I don't believe that there is anything more distasteful or unnecessary than spiritual pride found in a believer. Now we'll deal with these verses in a couple of weeks, but I want you to look at verse 14 and down at verse 16 as well. And notice that Paul gives two different kinds of words to these Corinthian believers. Notice what he says in verse 14. First of all, he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. And then drop down to verse 16. And he says, wherefore, I beseech you, be you followers of me. In other words, he wants to, he, what he's saying is, he says, I want to give you, first of all, a tough word. Verse 14, he says, I write these things to shame you. There's a, there's a tough word here. There's something that's going to be hard to listen to, hard for Paul to even say. But then secondly, he gives them a tender word as well. He says, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And this is really the way that the gospel is. The gospel has a stern word, and yet the gospel has a very gentle word as well. The Lord Jesus Christ came, and he came not only blowing away that which wasn't right, but he came to gather together as well. The Bible says, behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of the Lord. It's two different words. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of the Lord. Sometimes we have to hear a tough word from God, don't we? Sometimes God has to confront us in the sin in our life in a very severe way and in a difficult way. And it's and then sometimes God gives a tender word, a pleading word, an encouraging word. So what I want to do is we take these Bible pens and puncture spiritual pride is to begin with the tough the tough word tonight that Paul gives. And then we'll give the tender word some consideration in a couple of weeks after our half-year business meeting. So as we consider Paul's tough word to the church at Corinth, I want you to firstly see tonight that pride is unscriptural. Pride is unscriptural. In verse 6, this is what we read. It says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against the other. He says these things. That's the first thing he says. Everything I've taught you up until now, all of these spiritual illustrations and figures that I've given to you, he says, I want you to listen. All these things, brethren, and there's a tender word even in the tough word. He calls them brothers, brethren. As a tender word. And he comes with a harsh word, but he, he still loves them and he calls them his brethren. They're his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, I in a figure have transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. I think what Paul is really saying is this. Paul, Apollos, myself, Cephas, Simon, Peter. We didn't set ourselves up as your leaders, Apollos, myself and Peter. We didn't come to you and say, follow us. 
But men seem to want to follow us. You are all dividing and you're following us. So I'm going to demote myself in your eyes and I'm going to demote Apollos and I'm going to demote Cephas and I'm going to deflate your human pride. Do you see why he's doing this? Why is he demoting himself in the eyes of these believers? Because he wants them to see clearly that you're not to worship a man. We've been here before in this series and here Paul is repeating himself. You're not to follow a man. You're not to put a man on a pedestal. And so Paul begins to show up these factions and schisms which are in this church. And he's wanting these believers to learn this lesson in humility. And he begins here and he says that ye might learn, verse 6, in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up against the other. Now, Paul could be talking about absolutely anything when he says that we for he is not to think of something above that which is written. What, it, what is it he's referring to when he speaks about this thing which is written? Some people, when I've read the commentaries, believe he's only referring to what he has so far taught in this letter to the Corinthians. But I believe that he's referring to the whole canon of Scripture. You see, the word canon that we use it simply means measuring stick. And that's just what the Bible is. The canon, the measuring stick of scripture. Where we're meant to measure all our beliefs and all our behavior according to the measuring stick of God's word. And Paul narrows it down to speak about pride in these verses. And really that which is written could be applied to any subject in our life. But as he comes to this issue of worshipping men and following men and splitting the church over these silly issues and personality issues, he says, don't be esteeming men above what they are. You need to measure them up against scripture. In fact, you need to measure yourself, he says to the Corinthians against scripture. The truth of the matter is they did think much of themselves because at the end of verse 6, he says that no one of you be puffed up for one against the other puffed up. That was the problem in Corinth. They were puffed up. They believed that they had made it spiritually. They were the bees and eaves. And they were feeding on this pride. And they were putting men at the center of the church rather than the Lord. They were allowing worldly wisdom and philosophies to leak through the walls of the church and leak into the crevices of their hearts. And they thought they were very special. And they thought they were something that people should admire. And Paul writes to address this cancer of pride that was eating away at the church. If you had visited this church in Corinth, you would have found a group of people who were just so proud of themselves. You would have found them to be very haughty, very arrogant, puffed up group of people. They imagined that they were superior on the basis of a lot of things. You'll remember that the scriptures tell us that the church, the believers in Corinth, they had all of the spiritual gifts. And so they were filled with pride. They were puffed up because they had all these gifts and abilities. They were filled with pride because they believed they had arrived. Any time a believer gets the idea that he or she has arrived and that they've no more to learn and that they've no new truths that they can learn, that they cannot grow anymore in the Lord, they are indeed in a very, very dangerous position. So Paul describes these believers in Corinth in a very graphic way. 
Three times in these verses, Paul says to them, you're puffed up. A very graphic description. It's the picture of taking a balloon and inflating it with air. And it's also exactly what a frog does just before it croaks. Have you ever seen a weak frog and it's just about to croak and its wee, its wee chin gets awfully fat and, and it's right down there. It's that same idea, the swollen frog. You're walking around so filled with yourselves and you think you're wonderful and you think you're so great. And this was, I believe, the root of all the problems that was found in Corinth. In fact, pride really is where sin begins, isn't it? We don't have time to go through them all tonight. We've already dealt with some of the problems they had. But just around the corner, we're going to be looking at chapter 5, at the awful sin of incest within the people of God, within the church of Jesus Christ. That came from their pride. We'll be looking later on at drunkenness at the Lord's table about the dissolving of the marriage bond within this church and various other sins. And pride was the source of all these things. And that's why Paul early on in this letter deals with pride. Because pride was causing so many problems. Men and women in the church of Jesus Christ who were puffed up, inflated, blown up. And the fires of their own self-esteem were raging. And they loved people pouring more fuel on them and telling them how great they were. They must move on. But this pride, it was unscriptural. That's why Paul writes to them here in verse 6 about those things which are written. He's saying to them, you need to measure yourselves up against God's word. And I'll tell you, when we measure ourselves up against God's word, if you're proud, boy, you'll fall very quickly. Because you'll realize, and I realize when I read God's word, that I'm very, very far. From where I should be. Pride is unscriptural. But secondly I want you to see that pride is unspiritual. It's unspiritual. Look at verse 7. He says here in verse 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another? Who makes you differ from one another? Now, of course, there's the admission that we are different from one another. None of us are the same. We're all different. All of us have different gifts. All of us have different abilities. But what is the foundation of these different abilities? The people at the church of Corinth felt they were superior to one another. They had better, I have better gifts than him and I have better gifts than her. And they were comparing one another. And they were saying to themselves, it's because of me. And it's because of my gifting that this church is succeeding. I'm different, they said. And do you see the the, the mistake that they were making is that they were thinking they were somebody. And they were attributing the gifts that God had given to them as gifts that they had got themselves. And they boasted about their gifts and they forgot the God who had given the gift to them. So Paul says this. I wonder can you sense the sarcasm dripping through these verses tonight. Paul is being so sarcastic. He says to them, Look look at it as we go on, verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from one another? Listen to his next sarcastic question. And what have you, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? The gifts and abilities that they had, these were something of grace. You don't receive something that you give to yourself or achieve yourself. 
And Paul goes on and he says this, Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast received it? Paul says, you're walking around like peacocks because you can do this, that and the other for the Lord. You have this ability for the Lord, but if you really believe that your abilities were given to you by a gift of God, you wouldn't be glorying in them and in yourselves because you would know that God has given these gifts to you and God wants you to give all the glory back to him. See, this is... This is, this is a foundational difference that we've got to grasp tonight between those who think they're something and those who really are something. I want to tell you, if you want to be something for God, you need to be humble. And you need to give him the glory for every ability that he has given to you. George Whitfield was standing at the door one evening after his sermon and a lady said to him, you know, that was absolutely wonderful, Mr. Whitfield. That was the best sermon I've ever heard. And he said this to her. He said, I know. The devil's already told me that. You see, this is a tactic that the devil often comes with. A.W. Tozer was in the pulpit one night. Or he was just about to get into it. And the chairman was introducing him. About what a great writer he was. And what a great prophet of the 20th century. And all the rest. Tozer was asked to get up and pray. He stood up and he bowed his head and he said, Lord, forgive that brother for what he just said. And forgive me for enjoying it so much. There's a danger. And we've got to be aware of it. And I need encouragement, by the way. Don't be stopping encouraging me. I need it. But there's a fine line. And we've got to be very careful. What's the point that Paul is making here? It's simply this. He wants us all, the church in Corinth, the church in Greens, to get our eyes above to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because every good and perfect gift cometh down from above. That's it. If you can preach better than I can, it doesn't make a button, button of difference because it's God of God. And it's God who gives you that ability and it's God who can take it away. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with education. It's nothing to do with ability. It's of God. And this is the difference between, difference between those who think they're somebody and those who really are something for God. They realise that what they do comes from God. And they praise God for that. And they give the glory to God for that. You don't walk around because you're of your ability like a proud peacock. But you recognise that it's the gift that God has given you. It's a spiritual gift that God has given you. And it's by grace. And if God really wanted to, he could take away our gifts away from us like that. You see, pride in our abilities... It's unspiritual. But attributing all our gifting and ability to God is spiritual. Let me finish this point by saying this. John the Baptist, he was a man who was rooted and grounded. There was no airs or graces about John. John chapter 3 verse 27 says this. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. 
In verse 30 of John chapter 3, such a famous verse, what does John say? He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. There you have it. Listen, if you've got anything that's worth having for God and for Christ and for the cause of the gospel, do you know where you got it? You got it from God. And all praise and all glory and all honour ought to go to God for how he is using your life for him. Pride is unscriptural. Pride is unspiritual. But finally tonight, pride, it's unsociable. It's unsociable. Look at verse 8. Now ye are full. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. Paul says, using a little bit of what I'm going to call sanctified sarcasm, he says, you're full. You're full. He says simply that you're filled with your self-sufficiency. And now you're rich, you're filled with your self-satisfaction. And you have reigned as kings without us. And you're filled with self-superiority. You think you're above everybody. And what he's simply pointing out is their attitude was detrimental to their fellowship with other people. To be proud actually means that you lose fellowship with other believers because you think you're better than them. And you've reigned as kings, he says, without us. They were filled with pride and Paul punctures their pride with the word of God. And this here, it's the attitude to be rejected. You often hear the phrase sarcasm as the lowest form of wit. Have you heard that? My mum used to say it to us all the time because she'd four sarcastic boys. But I don't know whether it's true or not that saying because I find it in the word of God all over the place. Men of God used it. I'll tell you better than that. Our Lord himself comes very close to it in Revelation. In the letters to the churches, there were seven of them. Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. He's, he's talking to the church at Laodicea. And he says this, listen. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Is that not what Paul's doing? Campbell Morgan, he calls it matchless satire, trying to bring to these believers that they were thinking about themselves in a way they shouldn't have been. It's a kind of shock treatment that Paul's giving them. It's a kind of shock to get them to come into the real world and to come back down to earth. I think we're safe to say from Paul's use of sarcasm that he's really trying to tell these Corinthian believers this is not God's way for the local church to be run. You need to look to God and stop looking to yourselves. God's way is not to attribute to yourself great wisdom or great fullness or great riches or great talent or great ability. That was never, ever God's way. And all you have to do is look throughout the scriptures. You go to Genesis 18 and you look at Abraham when he comes to intercede before God for the city of Sodom because his nephew Lot lives in it. What does he say? Lord, I've come to you and I dare to lift up my voice. One who is a creature of the dust. Listen to the humility there. 
Jacob is being hunted down by his brother Esau for the crimes that he's done against him. What does Jacob do when he comes to intercede before the Lord? He says, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. Oh, there's plenty of occasions like this. Gideon the judge, who said he was from the least of the tribes of Judah. Moses said, I'm not qualified to speak. Why should I go to Pharaoh? And Peter, who was astonished at the miracles of the Lord Jesus, he says this, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to loosen the shackles of his sandals. Paul himself said, I have nothing in myself, but my sufficiency is of God. And I am the less of the least of all the saints. This is powerful stuff. But you know what's even more powerful? You come to Philippians chapter 2. And it says of our Lord, He counted it not robbery to be equal of God. Let me translate it like this. He saw it was not a thing to be grasped at, His equality with God. It doesn't mean He wasn't God, He is God. But it wasn't something that He tried to portray before men man all the time to get respect for Himself. But it says He made Himself of no reputation. What about that? Friends, we often sing hymns like to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him. And oh, we sing these hymns with great gusto. We've got great feeling. But we need to waken up. Because humility is to be like Jesus. Do we really want to be like him? Who can lift their eyes from these words before us tonight in scripture? And not feel the flame of shame on their cheeks. As you listen to these verses. Because the truth of the matter is. You know and I know that we all struggle at times. With pride. In our abilities. Don't get me wrong. These Corinthians they weren't unsaved. But they were a group of believers who wanted the road to heaven to have no thorns on it. Let me close with a final thought. You remember the foot washing scene in John chapter 13. Do you remember when the disciples came into that upper room with the Lord Jesus? According to the Gospel of Luke, they had been arguing among themselves about what? About who was the greatest. I mean, they were picking their places in the kingdom. And they were deciding who was going to be number one in the kingdom. And that night they came just swelled up with their pride, all puffed up to use Paul's word. And in those days, when you came for a meal, it was customary for someone to wash the feet of the guests. And normally it would be a servant, a slave. And in this instance, there was no slave. So in that time, it was customary for someone in the number to clean all the other's feet. Wasn't going to be Simon Peter. I'm not going to wash the feet of this crowd. Wasn't going to be any of the others. They were all having a fuss about who was the greatest. All swelled up, all puffed up. Their pride was brimming out of them. And yet there sat the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the Lord of glory, the one who receives the praise and the adorations of the angels and heavenly beings. Yet the Lord Jesus in the midst of a pride-filled group 
laid aside his garment, girded himself with a towel and began to wash the feet of the disciples. I want to tell you it became a Bible pen that burst their spiritual pride. And Simon Peter never forgot it because he writes this in his letter, be clothed with humility. And brothers and sisters tonight, if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be Christ-like, then we cannot walk around puffed up with spiritual pride. But we must walk around with a spirit of humility and a spirit of love, understanding that all that I am and all that I ever want to be, I owe it all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust the Lord will bless his word to our hearts tonight. That's the tough word over, so you can breathe. Uh, next time we come to First Corinthians, there's a slightly nicer word as Paul encourages us. Uh, and Paul, it's a tactic that he uses so often, he gives a tough word. And then he comes with a gentle word. So... Maybe more of you will come out next time um, the, for the gentler word. But let's come before the Lord in prayer uh, as we finish this part before we come to our prayer time. Our Father, we bow in thy presence this evening, thanking thee for thy word once more. Father, so often when we look in the mirror of your word, uh, we see the flaws that we have in our lives. We realise, Father, how we really should look on ourselves when we compare ourselves to Scripture as those who are nobodies. But, Father, we confess at times we think more of ourselves than we should. And, Father, we come to you and we give thee thanks for every gift and ability that you've given to each person here tonight and to this assembly. We thank you, Father, for the variety of gifting that you've given to us. And we praise you, Father, that in this local church, that, Father, you have given us those gifts and how we're able to use them to glorify your name. And, Father, this evening we do want to attribute to you all the glory and honour and praise for what you have graciously given to us. Father, help us to use our gifts to fervour the gospel, to share it with young boys and girls right to the oldest. And, Father, that we may be you may be pleased to allow us to point many to our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would use our gifts and abilities uh, to stir one another up, uh, to encourage one another along the narrow way. And Father, we thank you that, Father, you promise you're always with us, never to leave us nor forsake us. And Father, we pray that as we know your presence is with us, that, uh, that indeed tonight, even as we respond in prayer in a few moments' time, that we would respond to your word, giving thee thanks for all the things that you so graciously give to us. Father, bless us now as we come as an assembly before the throne of grace. We thank you, Father, for the access we have to that throne through the precious blood that our Saviour shed at Calvary. Father, bless our time, bless the remaining time we have together. And we ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen.